Hey, Momentum. Welcome to the Bible no one ever told you about. Now, here in a second, we're going to dive into some material. But while we're preparing for that and while we're getting ready for that, I need you to do me a favor, okay? I want you to go ahead and think of the worst sin you've ever committed, okay? What is the worst sin you've ever committed? And while you're thinking about that, there's a couple things I want to tell you. One, one of the things that we've been saying for the last few weeks and actually for the last few months is that we are preparing to relaunch momentum in 2021. We said we're going to relaunch, not reopen. Why? Because there's a couple of opportunities that we have. One, there is a gospel opportunity. If you didn't know this, Chula Vista is growing. I mean, if you drive around, you see this. There's, there's new developments being built all over. There are people moving into our city that we want to connect with and that we have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Secondly, we want to reintroduce and refresh what it is we're doing. We want to bring a fresh expression of Jesus and the gospel. And third, we want a deeper faith and a tighter bond. There is nothing that draws people together like having a common goal that they're working on together. And so as we go forward this year, as a church family and as a church team, as we reintroduce momentum to our city, we're going to grow closer together and we're going to grow in our ability to just trust and follow Jesus. And so this whole year we're taking the approach of we are not just simply reopening, we're relaunching. And I'm glad that you're on this journey with us. Secondly, let me tell you a little bit about the series that we're in, the Bible no one told you about. This series for you is for you if you've been curious at all about what does the Bible actually say? I've heard people say this, I've heard people say that. What does it actually say? Secondly, if you've been spiritually hungry, if you're like, I know there has to be more out there than just what I'm seeing, but I'm not really sure what it all looks like, how it all works and stuff like that, this series is for you. Finally, if you want like a deep and raw look at what does it actually mean to trust God, to follow God. Don't give me all the fluff. Don't give me all the cheesy kindergarten answers. Just tell me what's real. Then this series is for you. And so today we're going to dive into uh, the messy end of things. We're, yeah, we're going to talk about sin. Okay. Sin is a word that always brings up some negative connotations. There's always like, mm, are you judging me or what's going on here? In fact, I told you earlier, you know, hey, think of the worst sin you've ever committed. If you're watching this, go ahead and type that into the, uh, type that in the chat. No, I'm just joking. Don't, really, don't, don't type it in the chat. But here's what I want to talk about sin for. I think the concept of sin has screwed up more people's faith and has caused more people to reject God, reject Jesus, reject following the Bible, reject the church, because we don't have a good understanding of it. Or we've had somebody in our life tell us something with sin that was absolutely absurd. And let, me, let me just tell you what I'm talking about. I remember growing up, everything new that came out, there was always some dude, old dude at my church was like, well, that's a sin. Well, that's a sin. You know, it's like, oh, uh, let, let's see, what are some of the things? Going to the movies has been called a sin. Owning a TV is a sin. Uh, let's see, rock and roll was a sin, and then rap was a sin, and then let's see, uh, uh, EDM was a sin. Let's see, what are some other things? Oh, yeah, um, uh, having a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school has been called a sin. Uh, dancing, I think. I don't know if I said that already. But here's the deal. We've all been that. We've all seen, like, there's somebody who calls something we like a sin, and we're like, what are you even talking about? And then you look at their own life, and you're like, well, you're such a hypocrite. You do this, and but you're calling this a sin? And so for so many of us, sin has been an issue that has kept us from growing in our relationship with God. That's true for me. I remember when I was 18, graduated high school, went off to college, was like, hey, I'm going to do my own thing because I looked at the stories of scripture and I'm like, this is absurd. I looked at the story of Adam and Eve and I'm like, wait, 
They ate a piece of fruit, and so that's supposed to explain why there's death and suffering and badness in this world. Like, if that's the deal, if that's the situation, eating a random piece of fruit curses the whole world, I'm out on that. Like, that seems stupid to me. And maybe you're there too. Maybe the way that sin has been explained to you has caused you to just simply think, this is all dumb, this is not for me. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a look in Scripture at this very old story that we've all read, that we've all heard, that we all know, and I want to go just a layer deeper and explain what's really happening. This is the Bible that no one told you about. So if you've got Scripture, uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to just be right there, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is a story you've probably heard before, but like I said, we're going to go just a little bit deeper today. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, time out. We've heard this story before. And depending on how you grew up or who told it to you or something like that, all kinds of weirdness has been thrown into this. And all kinds of things have been added like, well, this is this and this and this. But let's take a look at what's actually going on. This story is a template for how people make bad decisions. This, t this story shows us all of the ingredients that happen when we decide to screw up this world and screw up our own lives. I don't actually care whether you think this story is even true or not. What I do think is that it shows us exactly what happens that leads to sin, leads to death, leads to destruction, leads to people being hurt. All of the things are here. In fact, basically, if you wanted to know what the ingredients of sin are, it's in this story, and we're going to put them up here. There's three basic things that happen when someone decides to sin. There's three basic ingredients. One, a half-truth. Two, an exaggeration of what God asks. And three, pride. Anytime you see someone sin, or anytime you see a, a situation where you're like, man, this has gone bad, this is wrong, this is evil, those three things are at play. And let's just kind of break them down. The first thing is the half-truth. Satan is the master of the half-truth, Okay. You've ever heard the term, you're making a deal with the devil? This is what it's talking about. There's always this promise that comes in where, hey, I'm going to give you something and it's true. You're going to get this true. You're going to get this. But the back half of it is, and there's a price that you don't know about. And there's a cost that you're unaware of. And it's going to take you places you don't want to go. See, we're, we're smart enough people that we're not going to fall for a complete and total obvious lie. So the way that sin works is it starts with a half-truth. Hey, this is a deal too good to pass up. Hey, you're going to really want this. Hey, this is something that's going to really benefit you. And then there's a cost. That affair is going to feel great, but it's going to cost you your family, your kids, your relationships. Getting ahead at your job by taking the shortcut is going to get you the promotion until you get find out and then you're fired. 
or you go to jail for insider trading or, you know, whatever. We've all seen stories like this. We've all seen it play out over and over again where we really pursued something and we're like, I know it's not really right, but I want it. And we held on to the half truth and we didn't look at the cost. That's what Satan's doing with Eve. Hey, this fruit looks good and it tastes good and you're going to be like God. That's the half truth. What was the back end of the deal? And you're breaking your relationship with God. And you're going against what God has said is good. And you're doing all of these other things that are going to have repercussions. That's the first part, the half-truth. The second part is the exaggeration of what God asks. Now, when Satan asks Eve about the fruit, he said, she, he, Satan says, hey, did, did God really say you can't, you can't even eat any of the fruit? And Eve responds with an exaggeration. She says, well, God says not only can we not even eat it, we can't even touch it. But look at what God said. We're going to go back a chapter. Genesis chapter 2. This is what it says. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God didn't say anything about touching it. He didn't say anything about you can't look at it or whatever, something like that. But when we want to do something that is wrong, when we want to do something that we know, we take what God has said and then we exaggerate it to make it seem like it's impossible that we could possibly even follow what God has asked us. So we take the half-truth. Mm, there's something there that's good that I like, but there's a cost that I don't want to talk about. We take a look at God and say, mm, man, it's impossible to do what God asked because we exaggerate what he said. We make it so unreasonable that we're like, well, I can't follow that. I'm only human. And then we add in this third ingredient called pride. Now, we're going to talk more about pride later on today, but just kind of right now, pride is like, don't think of it in terms of I'm happy that, about my accomplishments or I'm proud of my son for what they did or I'm proud of my daughter for what she did. Think about pride as a combination of arrogance and self-pity. I deserve more and, I, and it's not right that I don't have it. That's kind of how we're going to define pride. When those three things get mixed together, I'm believing half-truths and not looking at the cost. I'm exaggerating what God says, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm feeling like I deserve more. When those three things start to mix together, you've got all the ingredients you need for sin. Now, good news, because so I, I, honestly, I don't really like talking about sin all that much because it makes me feel down. But let me give you some good news. There's really only three types of sin. That's it. There's really, anything that anyone does usually falls into three different types of temptation. And if we can learn to recognize them, and if we can learn to, okay, hey, this is what's tempting me, then honestly, we can avoid a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of personal agony, a lot of bad results in this world, just simply by like, oh, wait, nope, I see what's happening here, and I know what's going on. Okay, we're going to put this on the screen, and we're just going to simply walk through these real quick, because like I said, once you understand this, I think it prepares us and equips us for life in general. There are three types of temptation, possession, pleasure, position. Almost everything falls into one of those categories. Possession. I want to have something. Eve, what did she want? I want that fruit. Pleasure. I want to feel something. This fruit will taste good. Position. I want to be someone. What did Satan tell her? You will be like God. Almost any temptation that you will ever face. In fact, I challenge you to think of one that doesn't fit into this category. And if you can think of one, email me. Maybe I buy you lunch or something like that. But every single sin 
falls into one of these three categories. I want something. I want to feel something. I want to be someone. In fact, let's fast forward uh, however many thousand years you think it is between Eve and Jesus being on the scene. Satan tempted Eve with these three things. Satan came up with nothing new in the thousands and thousands of years, and this is exactly the same things he used to tempt Jesus. We're going to take a look at it. When Satan and Jesus met out in the wilderness, this is the exact same pattern that he used, starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What is he tempting Jesus with? Hey, you're hungry. You want something. You want a possession. You want bread. It makes sense. How does, when that doesn't work, Satan tries another tactic. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, just a couple verses later. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Okay, what's going on here? If Jesus had gone to the highest point in the temple in Jerusalem and thrown himself down, and if angels had come and rescued him so that he didn't die, every single Sadducee, Pharisee, all the uh, Roman officials that were in the town, all of the Jewish temple officials would have seen that and been like, oh my gosh, this guy is awesome. We've got to listen to him. Jesus would have felt great. Not only is there the, the thrill of jumping off a high point and not ha having it hurt you, but there's the everyone likes you. Everyone wants to hear what you have to say. Everyone wants to follow you now. You are the cool guy. You're the guy that everyone's going to be around. Satan is telling Jesus, hey, you're going to feel awesome if you do this. Third, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. What's the third temptation? Jesus, you get to be the king of the world. You get to be the emperor over everything. Empires need emperors. Kingdoms need kings. I can give you all of that. You're going to be someone. You're going to have a title. You're going to have position. You're going to have authority. Now, if these are the things that tempt Jesus and these are the things that tempt Eve, these are the exact same things that are used to tempt us. I want something. I want to feel something. I want to be someone. There's nothing new under the sun. These are always what Satan uses. These are always what tempts us. And so once we learn to recognize them, we don't have to respond to them in the way that always leads to death and destruction. In fact, sin follows a very specific pattern. It's super easy. It's very easy to follow. You take what you want. You want to feel something. You want to be someone. You want to have something. You go back to those ingredients of sin where you justify your desires. Well, I want this, but because I don't have it, it's okay for me to blank. And then what always ends up, this is why sin is wrong. Someone always gets hurt. Someone always gets hurt. See, the reason sin is sin is because it has an effect. It has a cause. It's not God just arbitrarily throwing out some rules. Well, you can do this on a Tuesday, but you can't do that on a Friday. It's No, it's like there's always a relational cost. 
Do you remember last week when Matt was talking about how God created us in community? We are communal beings that we have, like we, like one of the foundations of what makes us human is the fact that we can exist in relationship. Sin always damages relationship. It damages you. It damages those around you. It damages your relationship with God. And that is why it's wrong. It's not some arbitrary thing. It's a, it's a relationship damaging thing. And see, the way it works is it's not even your desires that are wrong. It's how you go about fulfilling them. It's not wrong that Eve looked at the fruit and was like, man, that looks good. It's that the way that she went about getting it was to break her relationship with God. It's not the way, it's like I said, let's say you wanted, um, I don't know, just a really cool car. It's the desire for a good car is not wrong. It's when you do things that are wrong to get it. Like, okay, I'm going to steal money to get it. We all agree with that. And so what we have to, when it comes to sin, what we have to figure out and what we have to learn is that there are ways to channel our desires that make the world better. And there are ways to channel our desires that lead to pain. And those ways, when we channel it, that leads to pain, when it leads to hurt, when it leads to suffering from others, that's where sin becomes wrong. I love this quote by, um, by a guy named uh, Lee Camp. He said, modernists often act as if sin is an utterly unhelpful construct but it is only because they do not understand the biblical concept. Sin is not some mere moralistic misstep. It is, not a, it is not merely a willful breaking of an arbitrary, capricious rule handed down from the deity on high. No, what is sin? It is a fundamental missing the point, a fundamental transgression against beauty, truth, and goodness. It is a violation of the liberty of humankind and indeed the whole of creation. Sin takes us out of our relationship with God, takes us out of our relationship with others and says, what I want is more important than your well-being. What I want is more important than your connection to God. What I want is more important than what else is good for everyone else. And that's why sin is wrong. It hurts people. It go, like the, the Garden of Eden, why was this such a big deal? It said, God, I no longer trust you. God, I no longer care, can rely on you. God, I no longer think you know what's right. I'm going to do my own thing. And this is where pride comes in. I said earlier that we're going to talk about it. Here's where we're talking about it. The danger of pride is that it always pulls us out of relationship. The reason the Bible speaks so much about be, don't be prideful, be humble. It's not because it's like it's trying to push you down and tell you, oh, you can't be happy or you're not supposed to be like, you know, enjoy these things. The, the danger of pride in the biblical sense is that you start to think you know better than God and you start to justify what you want no matter who it hurts. Think about every bad empire in history, the Egyptian empire, the Babylonian empire, just go throughout history. There was always a group of people that said, I want to be like God. And therefore, I'm allowed to mistreat these other people to get what I want. Because why? I am more important than they are. Or think about the number of people you know that are in like just crazy patterns of self-harm or abusing others or stuff like that. What do they think? It's not fair that blank happened to me. This isn't right. I don't deserve blank. So, which is probably all true. So how do they respond? So I'm allowed to hurt others. So I'm allowed to hurt others myself. Sin justifies the pain. Maybe the pain that we do it ourselves, maybe the pain that we do to some other thing. But sin says the pain of others is okay. 
And that's why it's wrong, because that is not a cost that God ever wants to see us accept. It is not okay for others to suffer for us to get what we want. It is not okay for ourselves to suffer to get what we want. And I'm not talking about suffering in terms of you want to get in better shape so you have to go sweat and it doesn't feel comfortable. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, that soul level, that, that breaking of the fabric, going back to that quote from Lee Camp, where it's like, it's that transgression against the very nature of creation. Sin is a disintegration of creation. Sin is a tearing apart of the fabric of the way God made us and he made the universe. So what do we do? Because, I mean, we could just end it here and said, okay, guys, now you understand sin, but that doesn't seem to be very hopeful to me. That doesn't seem to be like good news to me. So what is the good news? Well, just like there is a sin pattern, there is a grace pattern. And the grace pattern says simply this, I want something. It's not wrong to want something. If you've ever been told that your desires are evil or bad or something like that, it's usually because there's some, like I said, there's somebody that's trying to impose some sort of moralistic code on you. Okay, our desires are okay, but what do we do with them? And in the sin pattern, we hurt people, but in the grace pattern, we take our desires and then we say, how are these things fulfilled in God? Because if I want something, I take that to God. And God does a couple things. He either says, yeah, you can have it. No, you can't have it because you don't understand the cost that it's going to come with, or maybe later. See, maybe what God wants to remind me is that I have all I need in him. And so this thing that I really want isn't best for me. Think about it in terms like this. My son is three years old. He's asked me on numerous occasions if he can drive construction trucks around our neighborhood. He'll see like the garbage truck. He'll see like they're doing a lot. They're building a lot of uh, houses near where we live. He wants to really drive a forklift and an excavator. And you get this. He's three years old. I have to tell him no, not because that desire is wrong for him, but because letting him do that would destroy thousands and probably millions of dollars of property and himself. You guys get it. You're not, you're not stupid. You get this. Oftentimes, our desires would take them to God, same thing. God will say, no, not yet, maybe later. This is not what I have for you. This is not what is best for you. Sometimes we really want to be somebody. Sometimes we really want this position, and God says, okay, yes, no, or whatever. But the point is that no matter what it is we want, when we take it to God, we see how God will satisfy what we want in whatever way. And then what happens when we continually take things to God? The relationship is strengthened. The relationship grows. Our trust and dependence grows on God. And we become more of who we were created to be. Sin, I told you before, is the disintegration of ourselves and the disintegration of creation. But trust is the flourishing of ourselves. Trust is the flourishing of creation. So when we take our desires to God and we let him satisfy them in him, our lives become better. Maybe not financially, maybe not in terms of, well, I really did want that car, but no, I get that car. But we become more content, we become more satisfied, and we get to see more and more of who we were created to be. And there is no price you can put on that soul-level satisfaction of finding purpose, meaning, and acceptance in Jesus. I think about this because I've had this conversation with so many, uh, so many people recently. This idea of, I want to be someone. That temptation that I think, I don't, I don't know, for guys, I know it's a big deal. But we're like, I want that title. I want that position. I want that recognition. And I always think about how often I have this conversation where, do you understand that you are a son of the Most High God? 
The creator of the universe views you as his child. You have, are you a royalty? And people are like, yeah, but I don't feel it. And I'm always like, yes, because you don't actually believe it and live it out. Because when you truly understand how loved and valued you are by God, then those other positions and titles start to become like, hey, Jeremy, do you want to be king of the kindergarten classroom? Sure. But it's not like something I'm like, oh, man, I desperately got to have it. Because you're like, I, I, my identity's not in that. My identity's in Christ. So many of us are pursuing things that we're like, man, if I could just have this, then my life would be complete. But if we understood, no, my life is complete in Christ. My life is complete in God. I take my desires to him and then I will flourish. Man, that will set us free. So for every single one of you who's ever been told some random thing is a sin, dancing, a movie, the chewing gum on Sundays, whatever, you know, take this truth, take this scriptural truth and be set free. In Christ, you are free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So guys, I love you. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.